This is a podcast from Seven Vineyard. Good morning, everyone. Good morning at home. Good morning if you're listening to this retrospectively. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the co-lead pastors with Claire. And um, yeah, are you all excited about the coronation? <laughs> you get an extra bank holiday because of it, right? Well, if you're not, don't worry. Um, you're not alone. Um, but at the same time, um, th- there are a lot of people who are excited. So if you are excited or not excited, I hope you just... Uh, you know, you just have a nice weekend, really, doing whatever you do. But listen, next weekend, the world is going to change, okay? Sky News, Sky News is going to be covering this. BBC is going to be covering it. ITV is going to cover it. It's going to be wall-to-wall from 9 a.m. till 3 p.m. on Sky. There's not even going to be any adverts. It's going to be so wall-to-wall. And uh, we are going to see uh, millions of people across the country and indeed across the world celebrating the coronation. Did you know there's going to be 50 screens, large screens across the UK, live streaming it? So you can gather together with your community and watch the coronation on big screens. Um, it's going to be, uh, apparently the UK is going to be uh, lit up with projections, lasers, drone displays and illuminations. And coronation lunches are being held across the country in neighbourhoods. Has anyone been having a coronation neighbourhood lunch? Yes, you are. Fantastic. Oh, a few of you. Fantastic. Well, we hope you enjoy that too. And, um, you know, um, you might be wondering um, why during a cost of living crisis where the government hasn't got enough money for anything, we're spending £100 million on a coronation. And you might be thinking that. Some of you will go, well, that's absolutely fine. And some of you will be thinking, well, that's outrageous. But it doesn't really matter which way you stand on it. The point is, we're spending a lot of money on it. But the answer as to why lies in the purpose of a coronation. Now, I don't know if any of you know this. By the way, I'm not reading this as an edict from Buckingham Palace. Don't worry, all right? Um, a coronation, you see, is, is not making Charles King. He already is king. He already is king. There's a, there's a, a Latin phrase, rex nunquam moritur, which is an old common law rule saying a king or queen never dies. There's never a power vacuum. From the moment that the queen, Elizabeth II, died, Charles became king. We've never been without a sovereign, without a monarch. It is continuous. So what on earth is the coronation all about? Well, the purpose of the coronation is to broadcast and celebrate the fact that Charles is now king. Okay, the point of the coronation is to embed firmly in our minds that Charles is king. And by the end of next weekend, friends, by the end of next weekend, we will, whether you like it or not, you will have seen so many images of that crown being placed on Charles's head and probably a crown being placed on Camilla's head that you will not be able to forget the fact that Charles and Camilla are king and queen of the United Kingdom. It is gonna be firmly embedded in our mind. And what's more, as if to make the point more relevant to us, our banknotes are gonna have Charles's head on it. Our coins are gonna have Charles's head on it. Stamps are gonna have Charles's head on it. There'll be a photograph of Charles in every public building, reminding us that Charles is now king. Now the reality is, is that we probably already um, you know, feel like we know this. Well, if you feel like you know it, you're going to know it a whole lot more. And it's not even just about Charles, uh, is it Mountbatten, Windsor, that's his name. It's not even about him. It's about the apparatus of state. It is about our structure as a society. It's about the governance of our organisation here in the UK. It is the big national story that we are all part of. So whether you like the monarchy or whether you would rather be a republic, the coronation next weekend is a very important moment 
in the apparatus of our nation, is in a very important moment in the identity of us as the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Now, the reason why I mention the coronation is it is a perfect, perfect metaphor for the ascension of Christ Jesus. And although the ascension of Christ Jesus is not celebrated for another three or four weeks, I want to talk to you today, partly because I'm not scheduled to speak <laughs> until ascension, but I wanted to talk to you about ascension. And, and the coronation of King Charles is just like, just a perfect, perfect metaphor for what the ascension of Christ Jesus is all about. So if you will, uh, just turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter one, verses uh, one to 11. I'm gonna try and paraphrase it for you. So this is written by a guy called Luke. It's his second volume. You'll know his first volume, it's named after him, called Luke. And this is Acts chapter one, verse one to 11. And he says, in my former book, Theolophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. Know that. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, whilst he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Which is a bit more of a political question. And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this is the bit you want to watch and pay attention to. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. If that doesn't disturb you as an image, then you're not really connecting with this. When did you last see someone float up into the sky and a cloud hide them without any jetpacks on their legs and arms? Okay? It doesn't happen, does it? But Jesus floated up into the sky and a cloud hid from their sight. And whilst they were looking intently into the sky as he was going, suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking at the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. Now, the day of ascension, the ascension day, is not well celebrated in Anglo-speaking countries. UK, Canada, Australia, US, we don't celebrate it, do we? But you go to any pretty much continental European country and other countries around the world where Catholicism is strong, you will have a day off on Ascension Day. It's a bank holiday. And there are festivals all the way around the world to celebrate Ascension Day in the same way that we celebrate Easter or Christmas Day. It is nationally recognized. And the reason for this, the reason for this is simply down to Luther and Calvin. And Luther and Calvin, who established what we call Protestantism, essentially argued that we should be celebrating these festivals in every day of our lives. We should celebrate the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Christ in everything that we do day to day. But I think that's a shame because for me, I don't know about you, but festivals are great. Festivals are great, it's particularly annual festivals, because every year we do the same thing. Every year we come back to the same point and we remember the birth, the death, the resurrection, and hopefully, if, if you... If you if you've, if you've got the space and the time in your diary, the ascension of Christ. So I think it's a shame, first of all, because I quite like festivals, I don't know about you. But I think it's also a really weird as well, because when you look at the New Testament, you've got to recognise this, guys, that Peter and Paul and all the other people that wrote those letters, they really, really included the ascension in. 
Like you didn't, you, they did not ignore the ascension. It was just for them. It was just as important as the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. It was followed by the ascension. And I'm just going to kind of make this clear to you by just giving you a few examples. Uh, so if you look in Acts, you'll find Peter's first public speech on the day of Pentecost describes Christ Jesus as being exalted to the right hand of God in Acts 2.33. The Apostle Paul makes a central plank of his arguments in Ephesians and Philippians, a couple of examples there. Ephesians 1, 19 to 21. That power is the same power, sorry, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. And what did he do? Seated him at the right hand, of, the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, that every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. This is Paul. Another in Philippians 2, 8 to 11. And being found in appearance as a man, this is Jesus, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And this is what he says. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now Paul would not be saying that if the ascension hadn't happened. If the ascension had not happened, it would not be central to Paul's letters. It's also central to, the, to Peter's first letter, 1 Peter. It's also central to the, letter, uh, to the Hebrews. That if, you, if you've read that, have a look through that one. You'll see loads and loads of references to Jesus being ascended and being the ultimate power and authority across the whole universe. Okay? Now, that might sound a bit boring and, and, and disconnected, but it actually is more relevant to our lives than we could ever imagine. And being in the Protestant evangelical tradition, we miss this a bit because we don't talk about it very much. And I just want to bring it back to your attention this morning because the coronation of King Charles is such an important metaphor for the ascension of Jesus. The author and evangelical minister, Tim Keller, puts it like this. Um, now, if Jesus merely wanted to return to the Father, he could have just vanished. There were other times when he vanished immediately out of sight, as with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. But instead, at the ascension, Jesus literally rises up into the clouds and disappears into the distance of the heavens. Why did he do it that way? We can only speculate, Tim says, but it may have been for the same reason that we have a coronation ceremony. Tim is suggesting that it's like a coronation ceremony because Jesus is already king. We know that throughout the gospel accounts of Jesus's life, it continually refers to Jesus as the king. One of my most favorite verses in the Bible is Mark 1, uh, 14 to 15. And uh, this is just after John the Baptist has been sort of put in prison, arrested and put in prison, and Jesus starts his public ministry and he goes into Galilee and he proclaims the good news of God, uh, Luke says, sorry, Mark says. And this is what he says. This is Jesus's words, apparently, according to Mark. The time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, change your thinking and believe the good news. According to Mark and the rest of the gospel writers, the pre-resurrection Jesus was already king. A king never dies. According to the gospel writers, Jesus has been king since the creation of the world, the creation of the universe. He's king. But his coronation doesn't happen until ascension day. And so with this in mind, when we think about the ascension of Christ Jesus, Put it this way, the coronation of Charles is going to be pretty impressive next weekend, all right? But it's not going to be as impressive as the coronation of Christ Jesus, because Charles is not going to go up into the sky, okay? He's not going to, as far as I know. And, uh, and, and so the reality is, is that the, the, the ascension is like, the, it like it's the most glorious, cosmic coronation of this man that we already know as king. 
And that's why the metaphor is so powerful. Now, I want you to note the difference between the coronation of Charles and the coronation of Christ Jesus. Charles is the king of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. We know that, right? There's, there's a few territories around the world that are also uh, subjects of King Charles, but, but pretty much that's it. So the only people who are going to be really bothered by this are going to be the subjects of the United Kingdom, Great Britain, Northern Ireland, and those, those um, mandates around the world. No one else is really going to be that interested, apart from, oh, that's nice. Now, we know that the royalty kind of attracts the global interest and certainly the press. We know that, right? But the only people who are going to be actually directly affected by it are the citizens of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. In contrast, with the ascension and coronation of Christ Jesus, the people who are directly affected, according to the Bible, is everyone. Everyone. The whole world. Not just every human being, but Paul talks about all creation, doesn't he? He talks about all creation being subject to the kingship of Jesus. So this is, this is the, different, the direct contrast. Now, according to Paul, Peter, and the rest of the disciples, Jesus is king of the whole universe. Now, you might wonder what difference that makes to me. I've already, I've already kind of lived my life believing that Jesus died and was resurrected from the cross. What does it mean to me? What difference does it make to me that Jesus Christ is the ultimate authority, I mean the ultimate authority. And, and friends, I'm not talking kind of in legend here, I'm talking in actual reality of the whole universe. What does that actually mean? What difference does that make to our lives? Well, does it mean that Christians get to smugly claim that the central figure of their religion is the supreme power and authority in the universe? Does it mean that? You could be forgiven for thinking that it means that by some of the lyrics of Christian worship songs. Does it mean that uh, Christians get to celebrate our God being greater, stronger, and higher than any other religious God? A bit like football fans shouting and screaming about their team being better than the other one. I'm a Man United fan. I can't really shout that at the moment. It's not a reality. But the reality is, is that football fans, they get behind their team. We're the best in the world. We're the biggest in the world. We're the best. He's, this is our team. And, and you know, my, my, my destiny rises and falls just like my football team. Yeah? Because I own my football team. Sometimes uh, Christian worship songs, I think, and some preachers fall into that same trap. Our God is greater than any other. You Muslims, you Hindus, our God is greater than your God. Because our God is Christ Jesus. Our God is the ultimate. And if you don't feel like that, I understand why you don't feel like that. But some Christians do. But can we do that? No, of course not. We Christians do not get to co-opt Christ Jesus as our own. If you've heard of C.S. Lewis, you, if you haven't heard of him, you might have heard of his fantasy series about a land called Narnia, where he describes the Christ-like character Aslan as not a tame lion. The Narnians could not own Aslan as their own any more than Christians can own Christ Jesus as their own. Now, that is going to sound a bit odd to some of you. That's going to jar slightly what I've just said. But consider it this way. I've been part of the evangelical church for the last 32 years. And it's perfectly reasonable that we should feel a special connection to Christ Jesus. It's perfectly reasonable that we should experience that because we are expressing a sense of personal, personal connection. What have we been doing today? Other than talking about being personally connected to Christ Jesus, have a relationship with Christ Jesus, of course we feel a connection to Christ Jesus. That's perfectly reasonable and rational. 
But here's the thing. If you're a parent, you might talk about your own kids this way, right? So um, I grew up in the northwest of England and uh, in Lancashire and Manchester, uh, we talk about our kid. All right, our kid, how are you doing? You, you heard of that, right? All right, our kid, our kid. Could be anyone, but you're our kid because you're one of us. You're one of our own, as we sing at football matches. He's one of our own. That's our favorite footballer usually. But you know, that sense of possessiveness we express with our kids, don't we? So I've got three kids, they're my kids. Now they're old and adult, or practically adult, I'm kind of struggling now. Do I call them my kids? What do I call them? My offspring? I don't know. But the point is, is that the reality is they're mine, right? They're mine. But any parent that has children knows full well that they are yours, but they're not yours. Why? Because they're independent individuals. They are independent adults. And as they become adults, that sense of possessiveness needs to loosen. Otherwise, you're going to be in trouble, right? Your kids are their own free person, free to do what they want. And just because, just because we don't own them doesn't mean we don't have an incredibly special connection to them. You've got to let your kids go a little bit, haven't you? But you don't want to lose that connection with them. No, because you don't own them. But that doesn't mean you don't have a very, very special connection to your children. In the same way, Christians, we Christians don't own Christ Jesus. He is not in our control. I hope you realise that. Um, but it doesn't mean that we don't have a very essential and special connection to Christ Jesus. But friends, here's the reality of the ascension. The ascension of Christ proclaims that Christ Jesus is the ultimate power and authority of all peoples and all things, not just the Jews. Let's not forget, Jesus was a Jew. See, but he was not the possession of the Jews. He was not and is not the possession of the Christians. And listen, here's the thing. The Apostle Paul was so convinced of this that he spent the rest of his life trying to convince everyone that Jesus was the Christ of all people. And he got into such trouble with the Jews over it. The Jews were mad as hell with him over it. Because the reality is, is that Paul had encountered Christ and realised that he was the Christ of all people and all things, not just the Jews. And back then we didn't even think in terms of Christians. So the ascension of Jesus challenges us to consider that Christ Jesus is not the possession of one ethnic group, one culture, one religion, or one tradition. And if you don't believe me, look at this. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, doubles down on this by recording what happened at the Jewish festival of Pentecost just 10 days after the ascension of Jesus. Acts 2, verses 1 to 8. Remember, the day, the, the day of Pentecost was a Jewish festival. It was actually it was a Jewish festival that commemorated um, uh, uh, Moses being on the mountain and meeting with God at Sinai. When Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews, from every nation under heaven. Let me just repeat that for you because I don't want you to miss the emphasis here. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? That was a derogatory term. How is it then that each of us hears them in our native language? 
as if to emphasize that Christ Jesus is not the possession of one ethnic group, culture, religion, or tradition, Luke records the story of the disciples miraculously being able to speak in all the languages of the known world. The coronation of Christ Jesus that we celebrate on Ascension Day is a global declaration of his universal authority and it was written in the sky for all to see. That's the message we're getting from Luke. That's the message we're getting from Luke. And consequently, we Christians cannot co-opt or own Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus will not let us do that. He is not tame. He is not under our control. And friends, I want to say to you today, and just to wrap up with this, friends, if you think that Christ Jesus, and you understand Christ Jesus in his fullness, then we need to think again. Just as with life, the more we know, the more we realise we don't know. The more we know Christ Jesus, the more we realise there's more to know. Sienna touched on this earlier in her, what she said, where she discovers Christ in all things. She discovers Christ in the nuances of life. And friends, the ascension of Jesus Christ challenges us to ask ourselves, is our vision of Christ Jesus getting bigger or smaller? Which end of the telescope are you looking through when you look at Christ Jesus? Is Christ getting bigger or is he getting smaller? You know, that question betrays, betrays the world in which I live, which is a dualistic world where there is either a right or a wrong. Yeah, where there is, there is either one answer or, sorry, there's one of, one of two answers. We have a dualistic world that we live in. It's our Western rationalism. It's, it's great. It serves us in so many great ways. But when it comes to understanding more complex issues such as the divine, such as life, death, and love, our dualistic mindset doesn't necessarily help us very well. Because life is not, cannot be boiled down to either or. It cannot be boiled down to necessarily right or wrong. Simple things like the choice of a milkshake is easy, isn't it? There's no question. Is it strawberry or is it banana? What is it? Strawberry. Chocolate. <laughs> if only life was that simple. I know, I know I wish life was that simple. I face lots of complex situations regularly and I wish life was that simple. But it's not, is it? It's not. However good our rational cerebral thinking is, it finds itself totally out of its depth when dealing with things like the divine when dealing with things like love, suffering, life, and death. For these things, we need to go deeper. For these things, we need what mystics call a contemplative mind. We need what neurologists call our subconscious. We need what artisans call our heart. So, when I invite you to consider if your vision of Christ Jesus, the divine Christ Jesus, the ascended, risen Christ Jesus, when I ask you to consider if your vision is getting bigger or smaller, I'm not really looking for a right answer. So there are no right or wrong answers today. But I am inviting you to ponder and to contemplate your vision of Christ Jesus on the day of ascension. And when you watch the coronation, if you watch it next week, think about the coronation of Christ Jesus. And contemplate your vision of Christ Jesus with humility and patience. Jesus once said that the deeper things are revealed to little children. Am I wrong? He said, it's the little children that are going to get this. And the reason is because little children don't necessarily think in rational ways. He said, the deeper things have been revealed to little children, but hidden from the wise and learned. 
Friends, if we are to, to get to grips more with what it means to have the ascended Christ in our world, in our life story, then we need humility and innocence, like that of a child. So for our contemplation, I'm going to show you loads of images of different people groups from all over the world. And I want to invite you to contemplate that because of the ascension of Christ Jesus, and friends, it is because of the ascension, and us Protestant evangelicals, this will feel foreign to us. It will feel odd. It will feel like strange to us. But let just overcome that strangeness and that weirdness. You've not been conditioned to think like this. But if you were part of the world that celebrates the ascension, you probably would. And you would probably find this easier to contemplate. But today I want you to contemplate, as you look at these images of people groups from all over the world, I want you to consider that Christ Jesus is theirs as much as he is ours. Let us invite Christ Jesus to speak to us in this moment and see what he says. So we're going to have some quiet music. The images are going to come on the screen. And just watch the images and just invite Jesus to speak from within you and to you.
Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, Christ Jesus, that we don't own you. We cannot co-opt you. You're so much bigger than that. And where we've missed that because we haven't, we haven't celebrated the ascension in that way, where we've missed that and become myopic and narrow-minded in our perceptive of who you are. Would you broaden our horizons? Would you deepen our convictions? That you are the Christ. As the Apostle Paul says, for all people and for all creation. And may we enjoy that and may it bring us together with our neighbors, our friends, our families, and our global community. And may the Spirit of God rest upon us in this way. And may the love that flows from the heart of God, may that fill our hearts with your love. Would you do that for us, we pray. We need it, we need you to help us with that. We celebrate your ascension, we celebrate your coronation. Jesus, Christ Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Amen.